What's next? This is a question we're all having to ask and answer more frequently. I'm Jenny Blake, your host of the Pivot Podcast and author of Pivot, The Only Move That Matters is Your Next One. For show notes from this episode, visit pivotmethod.com slash podcast. If change is the only constant, then let's get better at it. Here we go. This episode is brought to you by my Heart of Podcasting live masterclass coming up on June 25th. In this live edition of the week-long Heart of Podcasting quick start or sprint to help you get your podcast started or optimize the one that you have, I am going to cover the priceless benefits of podcasting, even if you don't monetize it right away, tips for agile podcasting, how to launch a show and episodes quickly, I'll talk more about my shift from weekly to daily publishing. You can hear more about that in episode 223 of the podcast. I'll give you simple tips and templates for audio editing, post-processing, and publishing. And then we'll open it up for Q&A and even some screen sharing walkthroughs of anything you would like to know or see in terms of the Pivot Podcast production process. I may even give you my favorite top five to seven GarageBand shortcuts that make audio editing so much easier even if you are self-taught like me. If you want to join us for this, registration is now live at pivotmethod.com slash heart. And I am throwing in an early bird bonus. You will also get lifetime access to the week-long version of this course that has a $297 value. So head on over to pivotmethod.com slash heart and join me for this live masterclass coming up on June 25th. Can't wait to see you there. Now, on to today's show, part one of my most recent conversation with Dr. MJC for our Pivoting Around a Pandemic series. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pivot Podcast. This is another installment of our Pivoting Around a Pandemic series with my pandemic co-host, Dr. Michael J. Consuelos. We are recording today on May 27th. I think the date is important for marking when we have these conversations, no matter when they're released. Michael, welcome back to the show for the 12th time. What? 12 times? We have 12 episodes now. Yeah, that's a a baker's dozen. Wow. Or is it baker's dozen dozen where it has one extra? Yeah, 13. So next time will be the, so if we split this in two, it will be a baker's dozen. How's that? There it is. Okay. There you have it, folks. Speaking of dozen eggs, bakers, a lot of times when we're texting to figure out when we can do another podcast, you'll tell me, I'll get to our doc right after I do my farm chores. And now two months into this co-hosting, I just have to ask, what are your farm chores? Oh, great question. And I'm sure interesting to everybody as they're cooped up in their apartments in, in whatever city. So so I think I've mentioned in the past that uh, we live on a relatively large farm. It's almost 500 acres. Uh, it actually is a family farm uh, from my wife's family. And most of it gets farmed, actually gets farmed by someone else, right? So, so about two thirds of it is actually arable. So that's, I think that's the right word. So it actually can be farmed. So I always try to bring new words to the podcast. So about two thirds of it, actually a farmer rents the property to grow things such as soybeans and corns and hay and other things. So the other third is a lot of wooded land, uh, lots of, we have trout streams. It's kind of a cool place. And so we live in about 13, 14 acres of that. And on that, we have a couple of horses, uh, shenanigans and Tanner, 
uh, shout out to them. And those uh, those belong to my wife and my daughter, and they ride them regularly. I get on them on occasion. So those guys eat a lot and, excuse my French, poop a lot. So uh, the, one of the farm chores every morning is to muck out their stalls, feed them, and then take them out to pasture during warm weather like we're having now. So my wife does, uh, Kelly does a lot of that work, and my daughter Madeline does a lot of that work, but I help out also by mowing those pastures. So sometimes my farm chores, including keeping trim, you know, trimming around the fences and doing that kind of thing. And then we also have some ducks and those ducks are lucky enough to lay eggs. So I'm actually the, it seems to be like the head duck keeper, I guess, at our farm. And so every morning I have to make sure they have food and water and they have a little pond that we've, we change the water in cause they like to swim and um you know and then go egg hunting because they like to hide their eggs from us because i think they know we take them and so, so they like oh there's a new spot where they lay the eggs so actually maybe sometime in the future podcast we're getting some ducklings uh because we're going to re- refresh some of our ducks who have unfortunately passed away and so yeah so it's basically horses and ducks and lots of mowing uh lots of property and then the occasional this falls apart or that, or there's barns to be cleaned out. So it's a great pastime. You know, Jenny, the nice thing about where we live in is that it's also adjoining Pennsylvania game lands and game preserves. So we actually have access to a thousand plus acres on that. So we do a lot of walking and trail running and mountain biking and all that kind of stuff. So thanks for asking. But yeah, those are my farm chores, probably more than anyone else wanted to know. See, it's good. It keeps you humble, like picking up horse poo and <laughs> herding ducks. Yeah. Mabruk on the well, new duck family that's soon to arrive, as Michael would yeah. say in Arabic. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. And I have to say that there's a huge calming effect to be, especially around horses. And there's a lot of work around equine therapy. I did a podcast on what horse whispering has to do with entrepreneurship. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. That, you know, I think I heard that. You know, it's it's kind of therapy, right? You get to be outside, you're with nature, and there's a connection there that occurs that is not like another. Earlier this year, I read two books by, I think her name is Kristen Kimball. She wrote The Dirty Life and Good Husbandry. Have you heard of mm-hmm. either of these books? You, you know, you've mentioned those to me at one of them are Momentum Calls, and I've seen them. I haven't pulled the trigger, but yeah, go ahead. They're great. They're great. And it's she's city slicker, marries a farmer, and then it describes her life and her family's life living on the farm and how much work it is. I don't think any of us appreciate it. And you're doing it. I mean, it's it's great that you also have somebody who's renting the land, basically. But right. I can imagine that it's it's humbling and keeps you present. And that tactile experience of working with animals and being in nature every day is probably such a good salve to everything that's going on now. And the nature of your work that is so, especially now, digital and on the computer and on phone calls. No, it is. And it's interesting in reflecting when you're in the presence of animals or whatever else that they don't that there's no judgment there you're, you're taking care of them you're helping them you know because obviously we're responsible for them and there's there really isn't a whole lot of judgment there right and it's interesting because sometimes i feel like we're judging ourselves during this time and other people are judging us and there's but there's n- none of that you're just doing pure husbandry right so pure caring of that other being and that's it's just it's it's very like simple pure there's no no one's trying to get anything else out of them other than you know, I, yep, I need my water, I need my feed, I need to go to a pasture. That's that's the relationship. I also find it beautiful how much animals in our care trust us and that, yeah, it is our job to provide that care and their water and their food and their exercise and their mind stimulation. You know, it's, it is so pure. And 
it, for me too, having Ryder during this time has been very grounding. And we run into so many people in New York who have adopted dogs during this time. Mm. I know that's been a national story that the good news of the pandemic is that a lot of these animal shelters are cleared out. In some cases, they're completely empty of dogs because wow, so many people are able to adopt during this time and foster. I yeah. I, I wonder I make, what you're saying there. I'm, I'm wondering how what kept people from doing it in the past or what, what's, what it's bringing to them now that they're, that they're making that decision. Well, they're all working from home. Yeah. So uh, for yeah. people who want to bring a pet home and acclimate the pet and the pet, their animal companion who want to acclimate yeah. them and take them for walks and get used to all the care. I mean, I know some people who have said, no, we still, we really, sometimes people will come to the park. We have now what we call an anarchist dog run because they closed the dog run by us. And so a bunch of us meet in the e early evening and let the dogs run free on the grass. Every now and then they escape onto the actual path where people are in the park. But right. it's this little patch of grass that we've claimed as our own. And it's a bunch of German shepherds running free in some labs, bigger dogs, basically. So people will walk by and be like, what is this? Like They've never seen five German shepherds on a New York City corner at one right. time. Yeah. And many of them are puppies. And then some people will come by just wistfully watching like, oh, we'd love to have a dog, but when we go back to work, it just wouldn't be fair to them. So I think you have a combination of people who are home for the first time, maybe ever in their career, working from home every day. And then also the, the pets in need, like just knowing that during this time, it's the one thing they can do. And there have been so many articles that have come out on the psychological benefits of caring for some someone else, something else during this right. time. So, Michael, as I was thinking about what's relevant and what's our queen bee role that we can talk about, how, how do we fit in this conversation? You, you and I both make an effort every single week to look at what's out there, look at what's happening and understand our own experience. One thing that struck me listening back to our last conversation is this notion that we are in what I call an interim pivot prior to the pandemic hitting I used to tell people, you might not know what's next, but you might have a vision for what you want to do two moves out. And if it seems very far away, it's totally fine to make an interim pivot where it's kind of a temporary short-term pop-up pivot, if you will. It's the first time mm. I've thought of it as a pop-up. And maybe this is something you said to me offline, not even on the recording, but that you were contemplating your queen bee role during all this and your business and your shift from full-time to now running your own business and practice that you were saying, maybe you want to help business leaders and businesses transition during the pandemic. And that that might be an interim pivot of a year or two years, but that, and I, I remember saying to you, well, you don't have to know past that. And that's yeah. what I find so interesting is that I'm curious how you're thinking about your career in business in an interim way, as it relates to the pandemic and then are you also gleaning any insights that transcend even this crisis and that are timeless and actually have nothing to do with the pandemic? Yeah, I'm, I'm having a really hard time looking past right now. I, it sounds kind of strange because uh, I do a lot of strategy work with organizations and obviously I've had a well-curated career and I've had all this sort of planned out. This is what I'm going to do next and I'm going to get this degree and then at this point I'll get my MBA and da-da-da. And I'm having a hard time looking past the summer. There's so many, un, I, I really, I'm like, okay, what do I do uh, September, you know? <laughs> um, 
And I, I don't know if I'm the, I'm the only person about that. And I've, I've also no, been surprised. I could so relate to that. Me too. Yeah. I, I, you're right. I, I, now that you now that you put it that way, I, I have no clue what the fall will look like. I don't even know what next month will look like. Yeah. I used to be like, oh, June and July are gone already in my head and I'm going to be working on my October stuff, right? That just to me, that's the way my brain works. And yeah, I'm like, I don't even know what September's going to look like. I'm having a hard time and because the world is sort of going through this transition and I'll share with you and the listeners, I've been surprised at what shape my role has taken during the pandemic. So when you and I first started, you know, kind of chatted and had this pandemic podcasting uh you know, content, I thought, okay, I've done, I've done the H1N1 thing. I've helped out on Ebola. I've done this. Clearly I'm going to be in the work with an organization. And what has happened is because of the financial free fall, because of just, just a lot of other things, I have been giving out a lot of free advice, you know, just, you know, helping people out because they just don't have the dollars or don't have the contract flexibility to do that. Doing more podcasting than I ever actually imagined with you, Jenny, but also with other people as as I'm putting more and more content. So I've generated, just reflecting, I've generated much more content than I have actually parlayed into actual work, right? The paying work. And that it surprised me. Now, I've taken advantage and I've now I've had the opportunity to do that. And I don't know where I'm going with this, but I guess I've taken the advantage of of that like liminal state, right? That sort of that you don't know what the next stage is to just think and 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 think with you and think about things. And also my, just the way of the conversations I've had with people have changed and evolved. People who I've not spoken to in many, many years for whatever reason now I'm speaking to on a regular basis because of what's happening. And I, you know, that's interim pivot thing that you keep on that you've said to me is is I'm I guess that's where I am. I want to highlight a couple things you said. One, being surprised at the role you've taken on during this pandemic. That's so interesting to think about. And and just how you, if you start with action, Joan Bays, one of my favorite lines is, action is the antidote to despair. In a mm. way, you leapt into action without a plan, without the roadmap that you might have had in the past, and that you've been surprised at the role you've taken on. I'm so glad that you said this observation that you're generating much more content than you've parlayed into revenue. I can relate a hundred percent. I'm generating all kinds of content with this podcast and being on webinar, being a guest on people's LinkedIn lives. And yet, and you know, within the momentum community, and yet there's so little revenue <laughs> that comes from yeah. it. There's a big effort on faith right now for me. There's this big just do, just act, just follow my heart and trust that somehow revenue will show up and try not to freak out about it in the meantime. But you mentioned Q4 planning, let's say. Normally by this time, I'm completely booked up for Q4. Not only I know where I'm traveling, I know what flights I'm going to start booking, I know which events I'm going to be a part of. And that's the fall. The fall is busy season. And it's often feast or famine in the keynote speaking industry because a lot of events happen in spring and fall. So we kind of go run around the world in a compressed period of six to eight weeks, you know, max, maybe 10, 12 weeks through the quarter and get our, our revenue that pays for the slow summer months. And then it pays ahead into the next year. So it's very strange for me too to be here in this interim pivot, producing content, sharing ideas, having conversations, which I agree with you, 
those have really evolved as well, both online and podcasts like this and offline. And then trying to sense into what's next, but having no freaking clue. What other choice do we have? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I guess I like the quote you gave about action is the, uh, was it the prescription for despair? That's a very doctory way to doctor it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's well, okay. Action well, is the antidote to despair. <laughs> uh, yeah, right, right. So, so I'll, yeah, I'll doctor, I doctorified it. Yeah, it's a prescription. For, <laughs> but you're right, it's a treatment. Yeah, it's a, well, antidote is a treatment. Yeah. So I feel for those who haven't or can't, right? So they're just stuck in the despair space. Yeah. And I know that's happening. And, and, and so some of the work that I do is around behavioral health and reaching out to folks. And I work for a behavioral health uh, company, digital health company. And, uh, you know, I don't want to bring that into the conversation, but there is a lot of despair. But I want to talk more about what other choices do we have other than to continue to create content or find meaning during this time. And I guess maybe that's maybe that's as I say that in real time, maybe that's that's it. It's that we're in our own ways trying to find meaning. And in the last episode, I kind of blew up the whole adaptation thing. I called it adaption, adaption. like five times. Adaption. Adaption. I, you know, I love it. I'll adapt. never forget adaption. Yep. I mean, who, tell, who tells us well, how it's, per, you know, <laughs> just because it's adapt, you know. If you want to um, make up a word, MJC, yeah. you are more than welcome. Thank you. It's the COVID, it's, it's the COVID way now. What other, yeah, I mean, you know, so if you're in this interim pivot, I guess, what other choice do you have and, and being grounded in that? And having faith, like you said, that it will come. But what if, okay, maybe I'll play a little mind game scenario planning here. What if it does come, but doesn't come quite the way we thought it would? What? How do we prepare ourselves beyond the summer? You know, I kind of, I kind of side there. Like, how, how do I think about that? Um, what's yeah, tell, our me, tell me about that side. Yeah. Where did oh, that come it's, from? Yeah, I think it came from that. It's, <laughs> it is not exasperation. That's not it. That's the sort of the release of tension that I hold yeah. around that. I guess I'm trying to release yeah. the tension around that. So organizations. So let me take a. Me well, I'm going to pause you for time. a second. I'm going to pause Go. you. That sigh is very telling because it's like at the moment that your mind wants to have a plan, <sighs> there's the sigh because it sounds like you've been practicing releasing your plan. So there's a sigh of releasing the pressure because the plan bubble starts to form. And then you say, Pop. no, <laughs> Michael, and you're reeling it back. And you're learning yeah. the skill of not having a plan. I wanted to ask you, I read a really awesome profile of a barber. I forget where he's maybe in New Orleans, a barber, and he was a Marine for a long time. And he said, in the Marines, we learn to adapt. That is what we do. So he has an identity as a person now, as after his experience in the Marines of, I am adaptable. I am agile. That's That was my job. That's what the Marines were all about. And so he was very early to open up his barbershop and to wear masks, have the customers wear masks, clean everything in between each customer. He was pioneering how to reopen long before many of the businesses that are starting to do that now. I wonder if you can tell listeners, remind me how long you were in the army. I asked you before we hit record and I already forgot because numbers go in and out of my mind like a sieve. How long you were in the army and did you develop any part of your identity while in the army working with military families as a pediatrician that the skills or mindset of that are helping you now in this moment? So I was in the army for six years 
And before that, so I think I've shared that I went to Princeton for for college, and I was actually in ROTC during that period of time, which is actually a different path than a lot of physicians who go into the Army take. Most physicians in the military go either to the to the um, the medical school in Washington D.C. That's that basically is a military medical school, and so they have a commitment usually through medical school, and then they serve because they've decided to be a physician in the military. So I, I had a little bit of a different path, where I was in ROTC at Princeton, which actually was a very interesting place to be, and uh, sort of learned to become a soldier before I became a doctor. Whereas a lot of physicians become a doctor and they learn how to be a soldier. So I was, and I use that term loosely, a soldier. So actually, I was doing quite a few th- interesting things during college that that shaped my my military experience, but I also, I don't know if, I don't think I've shared this before. My father worked for the Department of Defense and the Navy for about 31 years. So I grew up either on military installation or very near one my entire childhood. So I was used to being in a military environment. And so, so I've sort of been in the military most of my life, I guess, up until that point in some way or another. And to answer your question, the answer is yes. And I'll, and I'll, I have a couple of things that I, I'll say to that is that in the military, they they don't just train soldiers, they train leaders because the leaders really make a difference on the battlefield and and, and all parts of the military. So there are many times where uh, if you speak to an ex-military officer or enlisted person, the amount of responsibility for the self and others and the accountability to self to adapt, do the things you need to do in your environment as it changes is paramount uh, and is what is we're sort of trained to do that. And and I was responsible for things. I, I had actually a hard transition to civilian leadership uh, now that I that I think about the way you're dis- you're, you're asking about this. I was responsible for 30,000 plus people, uh, their healthcare at Fort Knox. I spent the last three years at Fort Knox as a relatively junior physician. And then when I transitioned to the civilian world, they're like, yeah, that's great. But, um, you know, you don't have, you, you, you know, you weren't uh, raised in our environment. You kind of have to start not at the bottom, but near, you know, kind of in the middle. You, you're not at the top. Um, not that that means, you know, top anything, but, but the, the level of responsibility. So you have 20 some year olds who have responsibility over potentially hundreds of millions of dollars of equipment in the lives and the people who they lead. So if a second Lieutenant, first Lieutenant in the military, uh, or depending on the force, you know, they, they're responsible for helicopters and tanks that are worth millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And then, but it's strange that if you were to take that same person and you plunk them into a corporate environment, it's like, well, first you got to get so-and-so's mail and you have to go get their coffee. And then, you know, you can be a, whatever, a, a, you know, an analyst. And then maybe even after a few years, you can be an associate or whatever else, right? That doesn't, I mean, there is some of that in the military, but they give you a lot of responsibility and they trust and then the amount of trust they have and their support systems. You you grow up pretty darn fast, and you're you are given a lot of responsibility, and you're trained, and you're taught how to do that. And because we are in the military, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's a battlefield environment. The battlefield changes, and you have to adapt to it. So, I think that with the description of the barber, to kind of full circle to with that, I think what you may have read, or just putting myself in that person's uh, 
places, they have situational awareness. So they understand what their environment is handing them. They understand their skill sets. They've done some sort of gap analysis, what they need to do. I'm sure that person has tapped into their resources around them, understand what supplies, actions they need to do. And they've come, they've probably put together a really relatively good, thoughtful sequence of plans. Also, there's lots of backwards planning in, in the military. So you start with the time of of whatever the operation starts and you work your way back to where you are now and you find all you have to figure out all the things you need to do to make that work now i think people in corporate world sort of say okay here's the strategy we, this is where we want to go in the military there is some of that but you have to figure out you do a lot of backwards planning and probably putting myself in that barber's shoes he says i want to open by around this date or i want to be prepared when the when we're allowed to cut hair what are all the things I need to do so that the day, the first day I can open my shop, everything is ready. I am prepared. In fact, I may even go in a couple of days before and test everything and actually, how is this all going to work? And, and you practice it. That idea of backwards planning is so interesting. I wonder how you think it relates to this notion of not even knowing what summer looks like, both for, for either for you individually for, or for all of us listening how could we apply backwards planning to, let's say, summer? We don't know what it looks like. We don't really know, especially if you're self-employed, where that where your income is going to come from or what's going to be safe, what's not. Families trying to plan vacations or staycations. How could we apply backwards planning to the times that we're in right now? Well, uh, that's a great question. And I think what I would say is maybe some scenario planning is probably the way. So, so part of situational awareness is, you know, knowing what's going on now, but also to prepare for yourself for what potential scenarios are in the future. So I would start, I would start with the conversation with folks around. So what do you think uh, will happen? What is the, what is a 50, 50 or 30% chance of what you think the world will look like in the next two to three months? Let's start there and let that be as concrete as possible. And does it make sense, though, for every individual? I just think about the cycles oh, of every yeah. individual doing that at the same time. Like how I think that's what's so hard about this is how can every individual on their own say what they think will happen? You know what I mean? Or is that our work to each individually sort of synthesize what we're seeing and, and make a guess at that? So Jenny, you gave me a problem. I try to solve it. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, yeah, but you're right, right. So so, it, I don't know the answer to that. I honestly, 100% don't know the answer to that. I just I think I was trying to answer your question. So if I was forced to say you have to think about what September 1st looks like, my gut, my training, my experience would say, okay, where do I think the world is going to be at that time, and let me plan that, but also part of the scenario planning is to plan what happens if that doesn't happen, right? So you do multiple scenarios. I'm just, I'm just, you know, maybe it's not the right thing, but maybe it's just the way I just as a flow of ideas that you yeah. gave me around the military piece, colored and biased that reaction. No, it's good. I mean, I love hearing yeah. your take. And I also find it fascinating to know that you grew up in a military family and moving around a lot and have that agility baked in in a way. Yeah. And I love what you said too. the military doesn't just train soldiers, they train leaders. It relates to what you said as well about what other choice do we have than to make meaning out of this. That's what we're doing. Even on these conversations, we were both saying how we never know what we're going to talk about before we set the date and the schedule on the calendar. 
then as soon as we have the conversation scheduled, Michael and I will spend a few days adding interesting articles and thoughts and analysis into a Google Doc. Then we come to the recording and we might still drop half of it or 90% of it and be in the moment yeah. with the conversation. But but we were saying before we hit record that just the, the nature of the work is to show up, is to just show up and parse what you have available with your perspective at any given time. And I know that's what we're trying to do. And give. And, and give, yes. right? So give, give, give in an authentic way. So there is something that I discuss with my coaches, you know, so I've mentioned that I do executive coaching is that nothing clarifies the mind like a deadline. And just what you said about, we don't know what we're talking about, but the moment that, you know, I've sat down and go, okay, we got to talk about this and we have to plan what we're going to talk about. It clarifies, there's clarity that starts to appear. And maybe the fact that there isn't a deadline or there isn't a picture of what we need to do over the next two to three months is causing the lack of clarity, right? It's, it's this constant state of fogginess. But if we knew that we had to do something, if, if Jenny, you knew you had to give a talk somewhere on September 1st, there's a sequence, sequence of events that you would have to go through that you mentioned about booking all the things that you do, but it clarifies the mind. And the fact that there aren't, those deadlines don't exist or, 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 or at best are, you know, calendar holds, <laughs> Right, they're not even commitments. It's it doesn't clarify the mind. It, we're lost. Well, that gives me an idea that okay. we can close part one of this recording on, which is what deadlines can you set for yourself to help mm. create that clarity? So for me with the podcast, there's a daily deadline, if not a weekly deadline for a weekly batch, if I'm really on top of things. But I love this idea, this question of picking a date that makes sense to you individually. So no, you can't predict the future. But you could say, all right, one month from now, where do I want to be? When I look back and doing that backward planning, where do I want to be? Or what would help me feel more empowered? Or what would help me feel safe? What would help me feel joyful? And just set some random deadlines. It's almost like here in New York City, people there's a lot of chatter. It's like, oh, is it all going to open up May 15th? May 15th? May 15th? You know, I, at least I hear this at our anarchist dog run. And then, oh no, it's June 15th. It's June 15th. It's June 15th. And then everybody kind of buzzes about the new deadline. What if instead of just waiting for it to be handed down, and obviously there's so much of a cascade that will happen when it is officially handed down. But what if we also set our own deadlines and we say, all right, by June 15th, no matter what is happening, or if, if things are more open, here's what I would love to see and do. And if things are less open and more locked down, here's what I'd love to see and do. And this kind of goes back to the interim pivot to go full circle, which is what if you gave yourself permission not to know what your life, career, business was going to look like a year from now, and you actually just address the time that we're in and say, how can I serve? What can I create? What can I give? What's needed? What problems can I solve? what would I be proud of during this time with the reality that we have now? Cause it's, it's not going anywhere. And I actually think just like what's happening for you, Michael, clarity will emerge from jumping in and taking action that might actually shape your pivot two moves out. Even if that seems like it has nothing to do with navigating a pandemic. I like what you're saying. It's really resonating with me. And I think the other thing that I, that I'll share with you is 
that I've also learned is letting go of what I thought was going to be happening. I have to let go of what I thought my role would be during this pandemic. I'm just going to let go and move to the next thing. That's very powerful. Let go of what I thought my role was going to be during this pandemic. It relates to something you said. You you were saying that even on this podcast series, it's been a shift for you. The episodes we've done that aren't just focused on the medical brass tacks, you're like, this is kind of uncomfortable in a way, or this is not the role I thought I'd have coming in of being the medical expert. And that there is this interesting adventure into your stretch zone, maybe of what if you don't rely on your role as the medical expert, what role starts to emerge? Absolutely. Michael, it is always such a joy and honor, a privilege to do these podcasts with you. This is going to wrap up part one of our latest installment of the Pivoting Around a Pandemic series. Tune in and make sure you're subscribed to the Pivot Podcast to get part two with Dr. MJC. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Pivot Podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips and templates by signing up for Pivotless, a curated twice-monthly newsletter where I share the inside scoop on what I'm reading, watching, listening to, and the latest tools I'm geeking out on. Sign up at pivotmethod.com slash pivotlist. Get show notes from this episode at pivotmethod.com slash podcast. And connect with me on Twitter at Jenny underscore Blake. Remember, build first, then your courage will follow. Hasn't it always?